Well, good morning. I'm so glad that we're wrapping up our series today and glad that you're here to hear it because it's been a phenomenal series, a coming back season in our lives that we're praying for, that we're seeing God work in a powerful way. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn to John 21 today. John 21, and beginning in verse 1, the life of Peter. We're going to look at what it means to come back from denial, coming back from denial. You know, Peter was the guy whose life seems to characterize all of us at some point in time. His life is a life of highs and lows. Sometimes the Christian life is a life of mountains and valleys, and so was Peter's life. He was one of the boldest followers of Jesus, and yet at the same time, one of the massive blunderers of Jesus. I mean, Peter did things that sometimes absolutely didn't make any sense at all. He would speak up for Jesus, and then in the next moment, he would speak against Jesus, forbidding Jesus to go where Jesus was going to go. In fact, Peter was the guy that Jesus had rebuked by saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Man, what, a, what an up and down life this guy had. But Jesus loved him in incredible ways. And the life of Peter is a life of one of encouragement to us today because no matter how many dumb things we do, and we do things sometimes that don't make a lot of sense, no matter how many times we do that, God still is for us. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? I am thrilled about that because I do a lot of things that I need that grace for. So let's stand together as we read John 21, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read a number of passages today to get the picture of Peter's denial of Christ and then his restoration. John 21 is all about when Jesus restores Peter. So we're going to begin there and then go back and look at the actual denial and how it all looked. Beginning in chapter 1 of verse 21, the, the beginning of the rest restoration. After these things, this is after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, he's appeared to his disciples twice, and now he's doing it a third time. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. All right, that's where our story begins, and we're going to pick up more of it in a moment. But first, let's pray. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to speak to us in a way that only you can, in a personal way. Father, in a way that's undeniable, in a way that has the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Convince us of what's right Convince us of what's real. Convince us that you love us. Today I ask you for this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you will. The deepest part in Peter's life was just prior to this John 21 passage. He denied the Lord. You know, when we do dumb things, when we do things that don't make sense, that we don't think we're going to do, we don't want everybody to know about it. But Peter's denial of Jesus is found in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, it's in John. It's so clearly evident that all of the Gospel writers said, we're going to put this in there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They wanted all of us. The Holy Spirit wants all of us to know that it's possible to deny the Lord and to regret that. It's possible on the other side of that, to be restored. That's the message of the Bible. And that's the message of Peter's life. 
So he's at this low point of denial. In fact, in these four accounts, Matthew's is probably the most detailed. So let's look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now you'll need your Bibles this morning as we look at a few verses. Matthew 26, 69. And this is just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. He's been arrested in the garden, and now they're taking him to trial. And look at what it says in verse 69 of Matthew 26. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he'd gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. His dialect, his Galilean dialect gave him away. Verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This is a low, low point in Peter's life. Now turn over to John's account. John's account includes a detail of this that's unusual. And in John chapter 18, about verse 15 is what we'll be looking at. Verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, make note of that, a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves and Peter was also among them with them standing and warming himself. So we have a few details. All four Gospels record this, of course. And we know, among other things, that Peter's gone out weeping bitterly after denying the Lord. We know he's denied him publicly. We know he's denied him personally. We know he's filled with fear. He's filled with anxiety. We don't know all the things that were going on in his life, but now he is struggling. I can't imagine a worse point, a lower point in someone's life than than what's going on with Peter. And even in John 21, by the time Jesus has been buried and risen again the third day, he's still feeling the shame of that, still smarting from that denial, still struggling, even though Jesus has died for him, and even though Jesus did rise from the dead, and even though he did see Jesus in the resurrected form, even then he still struggles with the shame of his sin and the shame of his denial and the shame of his disobedience. And I want you to know today that that until Jesus began addressing Peter personally, Peter was struggling with this denial and with his shame. Now, I want to make a point today as we walk into this text that all of us sometimes feel the shame of sin and feel the shame of disobedience and the shame of the distance between ourselves and God. Even though Jesus died for us, even though Jesus was buried, even though Jesus rose again, even though we've had an encounter with Jesus at some point in our life, we still somehow feel shame. Until Jesus begins to speak to us in a personal way and we realize he's still there for us, he still loves us, he still wants us to follow him 
and he has a way back. And I'm so encouraged by this text. <laughs> so how many times, I can't even count, how many times I've had to come back to the Lord after being away, after not being close, after not being where I need to be, to come back to the Lord. And Christ is always there. Amen, do you hear me? Christ is always there. He's always there. And as we read John 21 and the account of the restoration, you're going to notice that all of a sudden it's not a bunch of disciples. It's that's one disciple that we find focusing on. And we find Jesus focusing on Peter. And today, by chance, you're reading this text and you're hearing this message and all of a sudden it's not the focus on a whole church. It's not the focus on a group of people. It's the focus just on you. That's a good sign because that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is beginning to tap you in your heart. He's beginning to talk to you a little bit personally and intimately. So now let's go to John chapter 21 and read beginning in verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He's in his glorified body, and they don't recognize it quickly. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, and they're dragging the net full of fish now. Verse 9, so when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. There's that, there's that kind of fire again. Already laid out and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's manifesting himself. He's revealing himself over and over. Verse 15. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Verse 18, stay with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he spoke on this, he said to him, follow me. All right, you can put your Bibles down now for a moment. I read all this text just so that nobody can go away and say, they never talk about the Bible any in that church. Can't say that now, can you? We read all this because this is a, such a full account of this man and this man's restoration. We read it this because there are so many details in this narrative that unfolds that mean so much to this man, Peter, at this moment. 
And come to think of it, isn't this a kind of a kingdom conversation where, where Jesus says to these disciples out there in the boat, come, come over here, come to the shore. Let me show you how to fish and come over to the shore. I want to talk to you about the things ahead. And this account today, it's going to be very personal about Peter. And this account, this text is going to talk to people in this room about coming back to Jesus the way Peter needed to come back to Jesus, about being restored the way Peter needed to be restored, about, about closing that gap that is sometimes a wide gap between where we are and where Christ is and closing that gap with just a few encounters with Christ. This is about talking to people who are coming back. What Jesus does to help Peter, he can do with any of us. But I want you to know that and feel that and see that today as we walk through this text. I want you to see that Jesus can do this with you. What he can do with Peter, he can do with anything and anybody. We have a restoring God. We have a God that, that restores and makes good on his promises. We have a God that wants to fellowship with us. We have a God that is able to forgive sin. He's able to bridge the gaps. He's able to do all those things. This is how Jesus helps Peter. This is how Jesus can help you today. Here's some things I want you to keep in mind. I want you to keep in mind that he helps us remember who we are again. Who we are again. You notice in verse five, as you go back to that text, the word that Jesus first used as he describes these disciples in the boat, he said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, when you watch this account unfold in John 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. In the original language, it's all about going back permanently. Peter says, enough of this following Jesus. I'm going to go back and do what I used to do. I'm going to go back and become a fisherman again, a fisherman of fish, not men. And what's surprising is the disciples said, we'll go with you. This is not a late afternoon fishing trip. It's not a weekend trip. This is the trip that Peter's thinking, I'm going back to what I did before I started following Jesus because I'm so filled with shame. I'm so far from Christ right now. I'm so far from where I need to be. I'm going fishing again. And Jesus says to them from the seashore to the boat, a hundred yards out, children, hey, try the other side. Try to imagine that with me for just a minute. The voice carrying to the boat, a figure on the beach, you really can't tell exactly who it is, and there he is, telling them something about fishing. And as it will unfold in just a few moments, this, this figure on the beach, whom we know is Jesus now, is not calling out to them in, der in, a, in, a, in, a, in derision. He's not calling out to them in rebuke. He's not saying, what in the world are you guys doing? He's not saying, hey, all you, and, and also you, Peter, you big, you big denier, and you, Thomas, the one that doubted me. Hey, you guys, what are y'all doing out there? He says, children. Aren't you glad that Christ calls them children even though they're far from him and far from land and far from being with him? Aren't you glad God calls us children when we're far from where we need to be? Children, are you catching any fish? And doing that, he's reminding Peter he's still part of the family. He's affirming his identity. He's saying, Peter, no matter how far away from the shore you can get, you're still my child. I had some great parents when I was growing up and my parents knew the balance between disciplining me when I needed discipline and then affirming me when I needed affirmation. And they had this pattern, this habit that I learned kind of, they fell into this habit 
and, and this pattern whenever I was in trouble, not that I was in trouble a lot, I was a Baptist pastor's kid and they, those kids don't get in trouble very much, right? That's not what you've heard. But I had to live that, right? And my mom and dad would discipline me. And in the midst of that discipline, they would clarify why I was being disciplined. They would make it very, very plain. And then after the pain of the discipline, that, that discipline which, which hurt the nerves of my body, they would say, all right, now come with us. You're one of ours. They said, this is wrong. We're going to deal with this, but you're one of ours. You might have disobeyed us. You might have done something that we absolutely detest, but you're one of ours. You might have tried to run from us. You might have tried to run away from what we stand for, but you're one of us. Come on. You're one of us now. So there was discipline. There was affirmation. Discipline when it was needed. Affirmation when it was needed. And I see Jesus doing this with Peter. Peter's already embarrassed by the shame. He's already embarrassed by the denial. It's written in all four Gospels for all perpetuity. Everybody's going to know about this. And now Jesus is saying to Peter's children, have you caught anything? You know, all the way through the Bible, this idea of us being children of God is very, very powerful, very prevalent. John 1, 12, when John writes the gospel, he says, but as many as received him, that is Christ, to them he gave the right to become what? The children of God, even to those who believe on his name. In John 13, 33, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and one of the things he says to them, he starts with this phrase. He says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. In this great theological book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15, the Apostle Paul makes a big deal out of this identity issue. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as son, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the what? Children of God. And if children were heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we are identified in the Bible as the children of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So when Jesus was calling out to Peter, he was saying to all those in the boat, little children, it's time for you to come back. You're part of the team. I'm grateful he didn't say to Peter in this moment, you're the denier. Instead of that, he says, you're the rock. Instead of saying you're the outcast, he's saying you're family. It's important for us to know that. You're not who you say you are. You're who I say you are, Jesus says. And dear friend, that's true of our lives as well. You're, you're not who you think you are, not who you feel you are, not who somebody else says you are. You are who the Son of God says you are. And he says to Peter, come, you're one of my children. So he reminds us, he helps us remember who we are. You're not a fisherman, Peter. You're a follower of me. Secondly, he helps us remember how to trust again. Sometimes we need to be reminded about who we are. Sometimes we need to be reminded how to trust. Because as Peter learned to trust Jesus during the three years of Jesus' ministry. He and the other disciples were watching miracles unfold. The feeding of the multitude, where he broke the bread and the fish and gave it to the disciples, and they kept distributing it. They kept coming back and distributing more, coming back and distributing more until everyone was fed and filled. And then there were 12 baskets left over, one for each of the disciples. They were learning to trust him. 
And so they're having to learn to trust him again after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. In verse six, he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side. So they cast. Sometimes we're so afraid of what's going on around us, we don't trust anymore and we don't obey anymore. Sometimes the fear interferes with us so much that we turn our backs on the only one we can trust and the only one we do trust and the only one we should trust. I listed some top 10 fears that I've heard over the years. Some of them I've experienced, some I've heard others experience. And at the end of listing the top 10 fears, I realized that all 10 of these could have been applied to the life of Peter in this moment after denying Christ. Here are some top 10 fears. Number one, I fear being out of control of my life if I follow Jesus and I won't have any say so anymore. Number two, I fear trusting God and something not working out down the road. Number three, I fear what people will say if I follow Christ all the way. Number four, I fear I won't enjoy life if I obey God. I won't have any pleasure anymore if I obey God. Next is I fear I will suffer something tragic and not understand as a result of following Christ. Some might say I fear what I believe about God and what I believe about the Bible may be wrong. Later on down the road, I may discover I've missed something. I fear I will never be able to finish well. I fear I won't be able to resist temptation. I fear people will discover that I'm not more mature than I am, that I've got weaknesses. I fear that I will fail and God will not forgive me. All of these fears could have been Peter's fears. What are the things that you fear today? They may be things like this. And in the fearful time that Peter denied Christ, now he has the opportunity to come back and Jesus has helped him, helping him learn to trust again. And he uses a fishing tactic to remind these fishermen that he knows fishing better than they know. I think that's an unusual moment there when this figure on the side of the sea, on the seashore, calls out to the boat 100 yards out and calls out to a group of guys that are used to fishing vocationally. They're used to fishing as a living they know fishing. And when they throw the net out and there's no fish in the net after having the net in the water and they pull it back and it's empty, then it's going to be unusual for them to throw it again just on the other side of the boat and there'll be fish there. But, but that's what the stranger on the seashore said. That's what Jesus told them to do. And so they have a chance to trust for just a moment. And as they learn to trust, they learn to watch and see that Jesus really does know fishing better than they do. Come to think of it, Jesus is always reminding us that he can be trusted with anything and everything. But we only learn that when we trust enough to obey. And when we trust enough to obey, we look back and say, and say wow, he really does know everything better than we know things. He knows life better than we know life. He knows marriage better than we know marriage. He knows parenting better, business better. He knows our friendships better than we know them. He knows our church better than we know it. He knows our mission in life better than we know it. We have to learn to trust again. So Peter had a chance to trust again. So Jesus calls out to the boat 100 yards from shore, cast the net on the other side. And they cast it on the other side, and you know the result. They have full nets, the nets aren't tearing, they're not ripping, and eventually they count 153 fish. Now, I'd love to tell you that there are 153 significant things about the 153 fish, but we don't have time for that today, and it might not be right, but it was a boatload of fish. It was a net load of fish. 
It was incredibly successful. It was at least 153 times better than when they cast on the left side of the boat. He knows fishing better than they do. They need to learn to trust him again. And as you walk through this text, there are items in which they have to learn to trust the Lord again, giving them a chance to learn to trust. John recognizes this Jesus on the seashore, and so he says, it's the Lord. And so they head back, most of the disciples in this little boat carrying this big net of fish. Peter puts his clothes back on and dives in the water to swim 100 yards. I'm trying to get this picture in my mind. And uh, as I think about Peter putting those clothes on, diving in the water, I'm thinking, isn't that the opposite of what you do? Don't you take your clothes off to dive into the water? Don't put them on. I'm wondering if the boat made it back to the shore before Peter did. I don't know. Sometimes in coming back to Christ, we complicate it by trying to figure out a better way to get there. Bottom line is they both got to the seashore all were eager to see what Jesus was going to say and do. And here's what I say to you, this lesson is, however you get back to Jesus, just get back to him. In the boat, out of the boat, fully clothed or not, get back to Jesus quick. Learning to trust him again. If Peter's not willing to learn to trust again, he's going to stay out in the sea, not coming back to Jesus. And then he gets to the side of the sea and smells the fire. This is where John gives us this amazing picture of a charcoal fire at both the denial of Jesus and the restoration, restoration of Peter. You know, when I cook uh, out, I cook with a gas fire. It's easy to fire up. You turn the gas on, you push a button, and voila, there it is. There's heat for cooking the meat, right? That rhyme, heat for cooking the meat, that's good. But every once in a while, we'll have a charcoal fire. And the charcoal fire takes a little bit more time. It has a distinctive smell to it. And it makes for a really great hamburger, a really great steak. The distinctive smell of the charcoal fire happened at least two times in Peter's life. One was at his denial of Christ and the other at the restoration of Peter by Jesus. I wonder if that was by intent. And my take on it is everything is by intent. It's never a coincidence. John points out the reality that when Peter got closer to the shore, when he gets out of the water, when he comes close to Jesus, he smells the same smell. He smelled just a few days before when he had denied Christ, and he gets the opportunity again to experience the coming back to the place where he denied Christ in a sense and being willing to be restored even in that. I then noticed this, that when Jesus said, go get some fish, it's Peter that ran out to the boat again and got the fish and brought it to Jesus so that he could cook. Learning to trust again. You know, one of the greatest things you can do when you're coming back to Christ is just say, Lord, I know I left during a time when I wasn't trusting you. I wasn't believing you. I, I was afraid. I was frightened. I didn't like what was going on around me. I, I was afraid, afraid to keep following you. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to learn to trust with these little steps again so I can believe you one more time. Amen. It's important that you get back to that place of learning to trust Jesus. Yes, yes. A few years ago, our number three child, my, my daughter Catherine and I went to a, a camp for fathers and daughters. Uh, in, in some mountains uh, out in western uh, part of the United States. And we went horse riding one day. 
And we were about a thousand yards away from the barn on these beautiful horses. And, and I noticed Catherine was ahead of me. She was about 16 or 17 years of age. And, and I noticed that she was riding the horse saddle began to tilt just a little bit. I thought, oh no, the, the saddle is not buckled up quite tight enough. It's just going to fall. I try to yell at her, but it's too late. She holds on to the saddle all the way over the side of the horse and all the way till she falls on the ground. Of course, I'm afraid she's gotten hurt because we're going very fast with those horses and, and she's not hurt. We stopped the horse and, and I said, we got to saddle back up. So I put the saddle up, tightened it up even tighter. I said, now let's get back on the horse. She said, dad, I'm done for the day. I walk back. And I said, it's a thousand yards. There's no way you're walking back. Get back on the horse. You need to get back on the horse to make it back. You need to get back on the horse to overcome your fears. You just need to do it again so you'll know it's not all bad, to know it's going to be good. Finally, I coaxed her to get back on the horse and we made our way back to the barn and she learned to trust again. Sometimes trusting Christ and trusting him again is a little bit like that. To get back in the saddle, to start obeying him again, to start trusting him again and, and to realize that all of our fears that held us back are not worth holding us back from following Christ. He helps us remember to trust him again. Yes. And then he helps us remember how to love again. I love these next few lines because this is Jesus and Peter one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? He's saying, do you love me more than these, these other disciples, these friends of yours? Do you love me more than this fishing business that you seem to have gone back to? Do you love me more than anything and everything else in life? Do you love me more than these? And in talking about that, he brings him back to the very beginning. It's a pretty powerful time in Peter's life. It's a time when Peter never again denied Christ. From here, he began to trust the Lord. He began to love the Lord again. He began to realize that with Jesus, there's always the hope of restoration. With Jesus, the love is always constant. It never is held back. With Jesus, there's always enough grace to get me to the right place. Yes. And if you walk with Christ very long, you'll know that's true. Always enough grace to get to the right place. Whether it's three times we denied him like Peter or 30 times that we deny him or 300 times or 3,000 times, it doesn't matter. There's always enough grace for God to bring us back. In fact, it was Paul in the book of Romans who said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's overflowing. It runs over. Your cup runs over every time. There's always enough grace for you to come back. Always, always. Never too late. There are no limits to the grace of God. There's no limit to the forgiveness of God. There's no limits to the restoration of God in Jesus. No matter what anybody else says. And you know when you learn to love again? You learn to love again when you realize you are loved. When I am loved and understand the love that Christ has for me unconditionally, I learn very easily to love him back again. Being loved like he loves us allows us to love without even feeling like there's a risk. There's no risk in loving Christ. He'll never separate us from him. He'll never cast us out. He'll never be done with us. There's no risk in loving Christ because he's loved us first. At the end of it all, verse 19, Jesus calls us back to the very beginning of everything he's doing. 
Look down in verse 19. In verse 19, after talking about John and Peter, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. At the end of it all, it gets back to the very basic call. I was thinking about this text this week and I I just kind of wondered, do you think Peter wept this time? He wept when he denied Christ. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. It's a big point in this story. Do you think he wept this time? Except this time he wept tears of gratitude instead of tears of shame. You think maybe he wept this time because all of the shame he had had been washed away by a loving, forgiving Jesus. By Jesus who restored him so fully, so publicly, and so personally at the same time that the only way he could respond was just with tears again. Because Jesus' love was big enough to cover him. Let me just say to you today, Jesus' love is big enough to cover you. It's big enough to forgive you. His love is big enough to restore you. No matter how far you may feel that you're away from Christ, miles or millions of miles, his love is enough. And at the end of it all, he calls us back to the beginning. You follow me, or in some cases, you follow me again. Again. Would you be willing to come back today? Our comeback season series is filled with names and people, narratives and stories of people coming back, but none's more evident than this. Jesus calls you to come back to him. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Our counselors are going to come to the front. We're going to take a few minutes to invite you to come back to Christ. There are those who want to pray for you when you come back. They'll want to answer questions that you may have when you come back. You may want to talk to some of them because of their help that they'll give you when you come back. And today in these next few moments, I want you, no matter how far away you feel from from Christ or, or a short distance that you feel has taken place, between you and Christ. Come back. Come back now. Don't let any more distance happen. Don't let any more separation take place. Come back and he will restore you. Father, in Jesus' name today, our prayer is that you will restore our hearts, restore our soul to you. Thank you so much for the life of Peter that reminds us of how badly we need restoration and how willing you are. Father, today, let no one in this room Believe for even a second that that they cannot be reconciled, that they, they cannot be restored. Help them to know that they can all be and each be restored. Thank you that you've promised us that and your ability to do it, to perform it, is present. Move in our hearts, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name.